What's up, y'all? This is Victor Ung with the Baddest Asian Dudes podcast. And this week we have on Nikhil Viswanathan. He is the CEO and co-founder of Alchemy, which is the world's leading blockchain developer platform. It powers over $7.5 billion in transactions in 99% of countries in the world. And it's backed by Stanford University, Coinbase, the Google chairman, the founders and execs of Charles Schwab, LinkedIn, PayPal, Yahoo, Dropbox, and even the New York Stock Exchange. Being honored on the Forbes 30 Under 30, he is obviously a badass with many career accomplishments. And we're excited to share his mindset and his story and how he created such an impactful platform. Before we get into it, a quick shout out from our sponsors, the first being Burner Lab. They created a new vape pen called Alpha. And if you're looking for a more reliable paraphernalia that's safer and discreet, go to Burner Lab, that's B-R-N-R-L-A-B.com and enter the code BAD at checkout to get 15% off. Our second sponsor is Nero Mints and Gum. Refresh your state of mind with functional gum and mints that energize, calm, and focus you in the moment. Go to getnero.com and get 15% off with the code BAD15. The last sponsor is the Emotion Dojo, a virtual gym membership for the heart and souls of Asian men. If you've had your mixed culture or toxic masculinity impact how you manage and communicate your emotions, whether as a leader in the workplace or as a partner in your relationship, join the brotherhood of growth-minded, male-identifying Asians who are working on their emotional intelligence and fulfillment in life. This is not therapy, it's better. Learn more at bit.ly slash emotion dojo and enter the code BADASS to get a two-week free trial. All right, let's get into this episode with Nikhil Viswanathan of Alchemy. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Badass Asian Dudes podcast. Uh, I'm Michael Wu, one of the one of the hosts and uh, moderators of the Facebook group Badass Asian Dudes. I'm here with Sebo Shen. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? As well as uh, our guest today, esteemed guest, uh, Nikhil Viswanathan. Uh, I know Nikhil from Stanford, from my uh, Stanford startup days. Uh, Nikhil, would you like to introduce yourself for a bit? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, let's see, let's see where to start. Okay, so I grew up in Texas, um, came to California for college, uh, you know, really loved it, had a blast, studied computer science, artificial intelligence, came to, um, went to Silicon Valley, or stayed in Silicon Valley after that, and then uh, built out a few different companies with a bunch of different friends. And now we have a Bitcoin company, um, or sorry, a cryptocurrency blockchain company called Alchemy that we do. Yeah, awesome. So one of the first questions we always like to ask our guests is, what does a badass Asian dude mean to you? Actually, you are our first Southeast a uh, South Asian guest, but. <laughs> yeah, South side. Yeah, yeah representation. South side. <laughs> um, that's a good question. So one thing that's been really interesting to me is I think that, you know, through college, I noticed, so I grew up in this small town in Texas that had basically no Indian people or no Asian people, which Indian was considered a, a sub a subtype of Asian in, in, in Texas. When I came to California, I found out I wasn't, uh, wasn't Asian. Actually, that's a whole funny story I can share. But basically, one of the really cool things is, you know, in college, I feel like there is almost like 
two types of people, either people who only hang out with Asian people or people who like don't hang out with any Asian people. Um, and I had like a really nice mix of both where I had a ton of my close friends are South Asian and East Asian. Um, and then a ton of my friends are, are not. So I, I think, um, you, you know, I, I think when I hear badass Asian dude, of course I think of you guys first, but um, <laughs> this is my second thought is how do you live your best life possible and, you know, be proud of who you are. And I think your culture is definitely a part of that. But I think the, I, I more ascribe to like, do badass things with your life and, you know, be proud of the fact that you are Asian. Awesome. I love that answer. <laughs> um, I've been following your guys' journey ever since uh, back in the day from down to lunch and on. Um, honestly, I thought you guys were just going to uh, ride with down to lunch all the way to success. And <laughs> um, I was just curious, uh, what led to that uh, pivot to alchemy? And I'm just wanting, curious about kind of any struggles that, uh, that um, you, you and Joe faced then. Hey, you, you yeah, know, I, before we jump into that, I'm sorry. I, I just learned about down to lunch today. I, I'm 43. So, you know, like I'm not was in college yeah. having lunch with people, <laughs> but you know, like for the people that are just listening that might not know what down to lunch is, I think they need to know what your first creation was and the awesome story that happened because yeah. when I was reading it, I was like smiling and laughing so much, not at your expense, but I was just like, oh shit. Like this yeah. went from just having people join up to, you know, becoming a whole kind of like pizza gate type thing. Right. So could you give a little bit of story about down to lunch and, and how that led into alchemy? Absolutely. So let me give you a little bit of back history, actually, kind of how the evolution of that whole product line came out and, and kind of my journey post-college. So in, in college, um, I studied computer science and artificial intelligence, machine learning. I loved it. It was super, super fun, had a blast. I think that one of the best things that Stanford does is really create this amazing freshman dorm community. We're still like, you know, my freshman dorm mates are still some of my best friends to this day, right? And, and you know, through college, I had so many amazing, amazing, amazing experiences. Like every year I was like, this is the best year of my life. And it just got better and better and better. And it was such an amazing, amazing time purely because of that community experience in college. And graduating, um, I had actually, it's funny, I always knew I wanted to do technology and startups and I never, I, I never, uh, I, I totally randomly ended up working at big companies. I did product management at Facebook, Google, Microsoft, uh, my summers in college. And then I, we started one company um, one one summer. So after graduating, I didn't apply to any jobs. I had a bunch of like random offers. Mark uh, at Facebook was like, hey, come run this team. And, I, you know, I, it was, it was compelling, but I, but I really just wanted to, to see if I could have a big impact myself. And I think when I think about my life, right, you think about anyone's life, you only have one shot at life, you don't get multiple chances, religion, reincarnation aside, right? So how do you have that big impact? How do you have that home run and really knock it out of the park, right? And so for me, the way I think about my life and, and impact is on these two axes. So your X axis is how many people's lives do you touch? And your Y axis is how deeply do you impact their life every day? And it's, it's so like number of people times depth of impact, right? And, and for me, when I think about that X axis, it was always obvious to me, never before in human history could I do this on a magic metal box and build something that every person on the planet uses, right? But now we have software, we have the internet. And really that only happened in the last like 20 years, right? If you think about life before the previous 20 years, the major forces that shaped our world today were government, were religion, were countries, right? And now that's no longer the case. It's really, you know, software companies. We think about Apple, Microsoft, 
Google, Facebook, like these companies have a bigger impact, you know, arguably that on, on have impact on every person's life on the planet. And that's, that's insane. Right. And when you think about that, it's such an exciting opportunity because these companies have go super, 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 uh, quickly and have massive impact. So when I, when I thought about my life and, and then the Y axis is like, how do you like really have massive impact, um, on a daily basis for kind of like deep, deep impact on a personal level. Right. And I don't through this like pretty rough time where I was just like really lonely post-college missed all my friends and really just wanted to make it feel like you lived with your friends again. Right. I had gone through this like a like, pretty rough period and I thought about my life and I was like, what is the number one thing that determines your happiness on a daily basis? It's the people you're around, right? It's like, I got, I was six months out of college, six, one block away from campus, happiness had gone from here to here. And, and one of the things that I realized was, you know, the number one thing that determines your life on a daily basis, the happiness on a daily basis, the people around. And I said, what if you could make it feel like that freshman dorm experience again? And that was the goal, right? And, and everyone said, that's not possible, but that would be the best thing ever. My mom always says, as soon as someone says it's not possible, you'll go do it. So basically, um, we set on this quest um, to make it feel like you lived with your friends. And I, and I was like, you know, and when I think about those two axes, if I really bring pe happiness to people's daily lives, and I can do that at scale for every person on the planet, and, and that's something I usually don't say, but it's, it's what I believe, you know, we have this massive opportunity, that would be awesome. Turns out it's way harder than we thought. <laughs> we, Joe and I spent, you know, four years building a bunch of different products. We built this one, nothing really worked. We built this one app called Down to Lunch. We thought no one would use it. We thought it'd just be our friends, like two or three of our friends who lived on our street ends up being, you know, we put on the app store, ends up being millions of people around the world, front page New York Times, number one app social app in the world. It was just, it was, it was kind of crazy. We actually like literally broke iMessage uh, because we put our phone number in there, started getting uh, 10,000 text messages a day. We find out we're one of the top 10 iMessage users in the world. We have more texts than Justin Bieber. We had to email the CEO of Apple to come fix our phones. It was this whole crazy story. Um, really, and to get back to your original question, the, the thing that really, which was awesome, that product was going well, it was super exciting. The, the thing that really changed our perspective was when we saw the big shifts in technology, there's a computer, then there's the internet, and now there's blockchain. And really we saw like, wow, if this is the next shift in technology, now is the time when, you know, 1997. So Microsoft and Apple were started in 1976 and 1977. Sorry, 1975, 1977. Google and, and Microsoft, sorry, Google and Amazon were, Google was 1997, Amazon was 1995. And then every 20 years, roughly, you have like this big shift. And, you know, we started Alchemy in 2017 because we thought we could build a platform that really uh, powers that new wave of technology. So that's that's kind of a long and then like a short answer at the end to, to what, how we transitioned. Awesome. Awesome. You know, one thing that uh, I heard a lot was, you know, you were really kind of talking about you wanted to create apps that would, you know, really help people have like a sense of happiness. You know, I was curious, you know, what are the things that bring you a lot of joy and happiness to your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a few things in my life. Um, it's funny, my friends describe me as like a golden retriever, or like a black lab. There's, I, I'm like very basic in my happiness. I want to be outside running around, physical exercise. That's a huge kind of like, it's almost like my meditation. Um, the other thing is just being around, I mean, why we built this product, right? Being around friends. Like, I think those two things are, and sorry, three things. One, the physical uh, exercise, being outdoors. Um, and and I really love being by the beach. Number two, friends and, and really friends, family, and having that kind of really tight kinship. Um, and then third is actually, I really, really, really love building things that make other people's lives better and, and really bring joy and happiness to people's lives. That to me is like ultimate satisfaction. So any or all of those three things. That's really cool. You know, what I heard was 
you love building community, things that help a lot of people, um, help them interact as well. And, you know, uh, Michael sent me a, a really cool article this morning. It was your sister, you know, yeah. like, um, yeah. you know, like I, I'm curious, you know, you guys grew up in Texas. Um, you guys are obviously a very high achieving family, you know, was this, you know, like being founders, was that something like that your parents talked about, you know, and that instilled yeah. in your sister and yourself or where did you guys kind of find this yeah. motivation to be such high performers? Yeah. So um, there's kind of like two questions there, like high performers and flattered. Thank you. And uh, the startups thing. And so my mom actually started a software company while we were growing up. So we kind of got to see the evolution of that um, from, you know, the very early days through the, the really, you know, pretty cool different phases of a startup's journey. So that was kind of like from our middle school uh, childhood age, because she was an uh, accountant at a bunch of the big firms before. She quit work to raise us and then went back to school and then started this tech company. So I think that's where, and, and you know, so from that had computers around at an early age, really loved it, played a lot of video games, did some programming and you know, was hooked from there. Yeah, nice. That's, nice. that's awesome. Michael also told me you're quite the athlete as well. Um, I'm curious, you know, like, you know, as a fellow founder as well, although I don't know Mark Zuckerberg, I couldn't just call him. Mark told me to start a team. You know, I do understand that, you know, on the surface, when we're being interviewed, uh, you know, we're always putting our best foot forward. You know, we're representing our brands, we're representing our companies, but, you know, a lot of things that people have been doing recently is instead of taking antidepressants, they're exercising more. Whenever I see other founders that exercise a lot, like I kind of assume, oh, wow, this is kind of like a way for them to regulate like their own mental health. You know, I'm curious, can you share some stories of like, you know, some of the biggest struggles that you went through either with down to lunch or with uh, your yeah. new startup now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, it's a startup, so there's like infinite struggles all the time. But I think I think it's really just like a matter of perspective on how you look at that. It's really just like an opportunity uh, for growth. And and I think for me, like physical fitness has really just been a grounding, grounding part of my life since a very young age. I grew up playing every single sport: swimming, tennis, basketball, football, soccer, t-ball. Um, and 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 you know, I played tennis pretty seriously, pretty seriously growing up. In college, we played a lot of ultimate frisbee, like full tackle football, basically like you name it, I played it, right? And I think that I used to just be very active, like my summers in, in, in high school and in, in elementary in 10th and 9th grade, you know, sorry, 10 years old, 11 years old was spent, this was Texas, it wasn't Palo Alto. I was not going to like SAT tutoring camps and stuff like that, right? I was going to like archery camp and, and basketball camp and I would spend like eight hours a day playing tennis in hundred degree weather. So that, that was my summers. Right. And I absolutely loved it. And I think for me, I've carried that throughout. And um, it, it's funny because like during the, during the, the pandemic, uh, funny story, I came to San Diego for a week with friends at a beach house and SF was, you know, this is when San Francisco has been on fire in the previous couple of years, I actually took, uh, I got pretty sick with the smoke, which is actually really bad for you, by the way, for those of you in California. Um, and I decided to stay a couple extra days in San Diego. I was like, you know, I'll just wait till the fire clears out. Of course, the fire didn't clear out. So, you know, one day turned into two days, turned into a week, turned into two weeks, turned into three weeks. And then we kind of changed our work from home policy to extend it out a little bit. So I actually just spontaneously moved. I didn't even go back. I was, I just had my rolly suitcase. I didn't even go back to get my place in San Francisco. I just stayed here. Um, but for me, and, and I think a lot of like founder friends and, and just friends in general, uh, exercise and being outdoors is just, you know, humans were meant to connect to the ground. There's actually a lot of science around this, like even just walking barefoot on grass, like the grounding negative ions, or I'm going to get the science completely wrong. So 
like I'm an engineer, not not a scientist. So basically, like you're you're able to just like you know something with the ions and like like grounding it on Earth. Like exactly. literally, you feel completely different. So yeah, for me, that's a huge part of my life. I'm standing on a patch of grass right here below my desk, <laughs> so so I could be grounded. You know how we Silicon Valley people do. And so you know what you you had also mentioned that you grew up in a place without a lot of Southeast Asians or Asians in general. You know. Yeah, and you also said you loved it. You know, I'm curious, you know, mm -hmm. how, how was your upbringing? And when you finally moved to, you went to Stanford, correct? So I'm assuming yeah. tons of Asians there. So, yeah. you know, how was it like growing up? And was there any culture shock when you left for California? Yeah, yeah. So there was, but not in the way that you would expect. Um, so it was, it was, it was, I don't know if it was shock, but it was some interesting experiences. I'll, I'll share a couple of stories. So, you know, growing up in Texas, out of my high school of like, you know, probably 3000 kids, there was, I went to this school where it was like pretty rough school, you know, there was like metal detectors, like fights, like drug deals, like it was, it was like people get arrested. That was like fairly common, right? So um, we, so, uh, you know, out of 3000 kids, I'd say like 40% of the school was black, 40% was Mexican, 20% was white, uh, you know, maybe there were like six Indian kids, maybe seven. And, and this, this was in, this was in like our high school with 10th, 11th, 12th. So maybe like two, two or three Chinese kids, you know, one Korean kid, one Japanese kid. So we were all like, we all were like Asian brothers. Like, you know, we didn't, it wasn't even, there just like wasn't, definitely wasn't enough of us to have politics internally, but even like, it just, you know, I feel like race just like wasn't that big of a deal. Like, I know I can imagine everyone's like perception text, but no, no one really talked about it. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't something that we, like people like you felt discriminated or anything against. Um, and I, am guessing most people just thought I was black or Mexican. I, I do get that like a fair amount. Um, and the interesting thing was when I came to California, I, I remember move in day when you have, uh, uh you know, the, you, we went to California and we went to go to this place and I'd never been there before. And it had everything in massive quantities. I never heard of this. It was like, you know, you could buy toothbrushes from like 20 packs and toothpaste and like 15 packs and everyone was Asian, like like East Asian or, or India. And it was, it is called Costco, right? So I'd, I'd never heard of Costco before. <laughs> so, so we went to Costco. Oh, there was also this thing where, you know, our town was so small that if you saw like another Indian person or like Asian person in the supermarket, you'd be like, oh my God, you must be new to town. Like, welcome. You get really excited. You know, you show them around. You literally would just go like invite them to your house and like, whatever, right? So, and, and like have dinner with them. So when I went here, I was like, oh my God, there's so many like East Asian and South Asian people. Like, I need to go say hi to everyone. I was like, why is no one excited to see me here? And um, so, so we went there. Uh, anyway, so like move-in day happens. We're moving in and people, people are like, wow, we admire your commitment to oral hygiene. Because I had like two giant jugs of Listerine, 15 toothpaste, like 10 toothbrushes, like all, all these things, like five packs of floss. And I was like, yeah, it's great. This place called like Costco. And they're like, yeah, we've heard of Costco. And, and, and But the funny thing was we went to this... Um, Asian American Big Sib Little Sib program um, at Stanford, and I walk in the first day, and it's me and one of my other friends who's like half brown, uh, Ben, and uh, and and I think there's one of our other friends there, and everyone else is like uh, East Asian, and to me, I, and I was like, we were confused. We're like, hey, we're all the brown people. And they're like, yeah, this is the Asian one. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's why I'm here because in Texas, you know, any people are considered <laughs> Asian. So, and they're like, no, 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 this is this is the Asian one. And I was like, yeah, so I'm here. Like, no, you're not Asian. I was like, what? What do you mean I'm not Asian? <laughs> so it was like a, it was a super funny experience. But then I found out in California, where we're still considered Asian, we're just like the South Side. So and, and it's interesting because in Texas, there just wasn't enough, even enough people to like split into like segments. So it's like we we're all just lumped under Asian. So 
yeah, I've noticed uh, how people band together depends on really the the proportion of people around you. And honestly, mm -hmm. I love Costco. I go to Costco all the time, <laughs> all around the world. It's my favorite place ever. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what do you, uh, given what you said, um, what do you feel about your role in representation for uh, any kind of Asian or I guess we have a yeah. pretty liberal definition of Asian, um, yeah, bad as Asian dude, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I don't mean that in any negative way. I, I just thought it was funny to think, you know, I, I think I, I just try to live my best life and, and hopefully, you know, I, I mentor and coach a bunch of people who are, who are kind of up and coming and, in whatever field, but what one of the really cool things I really liked about about growing up in Texas was again back to this thing where where race was like never a, a divisive thing and and it was very open and like everyone was friends and I think even through my experiences in college that was a really awesome awesome experience and I think I, I in terms of in terms of leadership and in terms of kind of you know inspiring uh, the younger generation which I don't know if I do or not but. I try to live my life like as if role modeled off the people that I look up to and, and live the, in the best way possible to inspire other people to do the same. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So, hey, you know, like we've interviewed a lot of founders on this show, you know, a lot of really high performing, um, you know, a lot, lots of accolades. And one of the things that we're really trying to do with Badass Asian Dudes is to really show that you know, Asian men, we're not just engineers, we're not just, yeah. you know, technical uh, whizzes, you know, we're yeah. also emotional, we could be romantic, we could be passionate, things of that nature. So, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do on this show is, you know, really get to know the founder. And what yeah. we're going to do here is, I'm going to give you a couple prompts, they're just open ended prompts. Totally. And I want you to finish them. All you right. game for that? Let's do it. All right. 100%. All right. So, Yes, yes. I knew you'd be up for this. I was like, you know, I'm not going to say you are very, you're a very good talker. I find myself like really into your story. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun here. All right. So it. the first, the first one to kill is what scares me most in life is not reaching my full potential. Do you want me to elaborate or should I just, is this? Yes, like yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think um, everybody in the world has so much potential, and for me, uh, one of the one of the coolest things is seeing people achieve greatness in whatever way they define it, right? And and that doesn't necessarily need to be making a lot of money or being quote su successful in terms of society, but I think seeing people have a goal and have a purpose in their life and really achieve that is super cool to me. And I think when I think about my fears, my greatest fear is like, you know, am I doing things that I know are not good for me or no will not re make me reach my full potential. And, and cause I feel like I have all this opportunity. I see like, you know, my parents came from like nothing and now I, they built this awesome life. And now I have like a really great kind of platform to start at. So I should, I should be able to do a lot of great stuff. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I love that answer. Okay. The second one, one skill I wish I learned when I was younger is, uh discipline i i that has been a tough one for me i in, i'm very like externally driven and externally disciplined in the sense like if i have a deadline or if i need to get something done you know it will be 11:59 sometimes or all the time but like if it's due at midnight but it will it will get done right and i think that 
I think that one of the most difficult things, both about being in college, you know, so I went to this really easy high school. We didn't have really homework. You know, I did all my homework and passing period between the classes. And I came to Stanford and it was, you know, people who went to Exeter and Andover and just knew how these like prep schools and like knew how to come back and sit down and study. And I just hung out all the time till 5 a.m. with all my friends, right? Which was great. I don't, I don't really regret that. But I think especially doing, doing a startup, you, no one is telling you what to do. Your investor's not telling you what to do. Your team's not telling you what to do. It's like, you have to be very extremely disciplined. And I think that's some of the, you know, most successful people that I know and, and kind of like see in the world are extremely disciplined. And that's something that is a constant evolution and constant growth for me. Yeah. I love these answers. Um, That, that answer about potential really resonated with me, but I think it's also for me, it's, I think it's also important to like realize that everyone takes their own path to their full potential. And it's, you shouldn't beat yourself up if you're like a little slower to get there or it's not exactly what you imagine as long as you're definitely trying your best all the time or even taking rests when you need to. Totally. Yeah. And you, you know, this discipline answer, it was probably the last thing I was thinking was going to come out of your mouth. Because, really? Well, I mean, you've been able to do so well. I mean, you could call Mark by his first name, which, you know, not many people can. And, you know, what's interesting about this is it's like, okay, my follow-up question is how would your life look different if you were more disciplined? Uh, a lot, a lot of things. I think I would, I, I think I'm not saying I'm not disciplined at all, but I think, you know, I think the important things that discipline really teaches you is uh, one of the, I honestly think one of the, the biggest things is, uh, reducing your stress because if you're disciplined, then you you can schedule out your time and you can get things done. And one of the things that I found as I become more disciplined is the amount of stress and the the ability for me to take care of my body and my mind has hugely increased with the more discipline I have. Right? I think mm-hmm. especially in the early days of startup, there were times when you know we there's one time when you know the app was blowing up. You know we were we're at the top of the app store. We're doubling our our user base like every day. And the, Joe and I did, literally didn't leave our apartment for, I think, six days in a row. There was, there was one time when I went, I was just like, I'm so stressed. Like, I need to go outside and go on a run. And I, and, and, it was, and we were working nine to five, 9 a.m. to 5 a.m. the next day, like literally 20 hour days. And it was so awesome. Like, we were just like, this is awesome. We're having the time of our life. We weren't like stressed. Like, you know, we weren't, we weren't like, oh man, I need to do this work. We were like, oh, we're so amped. This is so fun. I, I don't even feel like I want to go to bed, but I should look at my phones. Like we've been up for 20 hours working straight, but it's more of like the physical stress you put on your body for not eating, not sleeping, you know, not exercising for six days straight. I walked outside and I was like, it was Thursday. And I was like, when, when did I go out last? And it was like, I think Monday or Sunday, uh, the previous week. So it was, it was, it was a long time. So I think being disciplined now, you know, you realize that everyone says it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, in reality, it's a marathon where you're like basically sprinting, but you do want to, you do want to kind of make sure you take time to, um, to, for all the other aspects of your life. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. This next one's a little bit tougher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If people really knew me, they would know. If people really knew me, they would know that what I say is basically what I think. And I don't really have a filter, which is, you know, uh, good and bad. I don't have a filter. And I say 99.999% time. Actually, I, I can't think of a time when I don't really say what I think, unless it's, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. So I'm, I'm trying to be nice to them. But I have no filter. I'm very open. I will tell, you know, any person I randomly meet, like, 
if I'm happy to share really anything about me. So, and I think, yeah, I think that's very different. I, I, I thought everyone, you know, you, you go through life thinking that everyone is like you, at least I did. So, um, and kind of like, uh, you know, meta, meta in that, maybe, maybe that's not true, but that, that's what, that's what I realized later on that I had this impression that everyone was like me. And then later on, I, you know, I would meet people and then I'd tell them stuff and they asked me stuff and I asked them questions like, oh, you know, that's too personal. I would never share that. And, uh, and I've like never had that thought kind of like cross my mind ever. So I think that's, that's something that if people really knew me inside. They'd be like, oh, I actually do know Nikhil. Mm-hmm. So I like that answer, but uh-huh. I would say, well, if people really knew you, they would know Nikhil is very blunt and straightforward. So I yeah. want to hear something a bit more vulnerable than that. Let's take it a second time. Uh, in, give me, give me an example, like, or, or Or, can you rephrase the question again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here, I'll give you an example with myself. Okay. So if people really knew me, they would know that despite having six straight successful exits, I'm still a very insecure person Mm. and I want a seventh exit and that's going to make me feel secure. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Oh yeah. So, so some kind of vulnerability. Yeah. I think that, um, if, if, you know, one thing is like, I'm definitely very much a perfectionist and that's something that I've had to rip out of me over the years. Right. And I, and I want to win at everything, even if it's a small thing, like I have to win. And I think to me, one of the big things about, you know, having a mental and emotional what's the right word, mental and emotional, um, not meditation, but kind of like a more relaxing mindset throughout throughout my like kind of day-to-day life is like letting go a little bit of that and and knowing that hey it's okay like this is a startup stuff will go wrong and it's not even going wrong it's a learning opportunity right so I think that transition for me from being being that intense insanely competitive person on every single tiny thing to hey let's treat this as like a learning opportunity and figure out how we can grow and improve from it um that was a pretty big shift for me Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know, I mean, it, the being a perfectionist is a double-edged sword, right? You know, there are I think it's actually really could... bad. I think it's a really bad thing. I think in general, like one of the things, you know, I tell, I tell our, our new employees and, and one thing that I've probably one of the biggest lessons I've, I've learned as a startup is I have to rip that perfectionism out of me. And it is not a good thing. It's like this excuse that we tell ourselves that, oh, I'm a perfectionist, but really it's just like, I'm not disciplined and are not disciplined enough, or I need to get more disciplined. Right. And, and I need to just be fine letting go because perfectionism is a fear that your work may not be good enough. Right. And it's just letting go of that and say, you know what, I gave my best effort and that's great. And that's all I need to do. So. All right. All right. Beating yourself up unnecessarily and uh, kind of like stopping you from moving forward, even though you think, Oh, because I'm perfectionist, I'm going to put out the best thing ever. No, you're. Yeah you just got to work as hard as you can and yeah. Yeah. And be okay with, be, be okay with that. Yeah. Yep. I wanted to, uh, hear, um, how did, how did you, or how did you and Joe get through, uh, deal with any struggles that came up when going through that whole process? <laughs> sounds like health sounds like, yeah. Um, it was great. I mean, honestly, like one of the, I think I tell this to all founders that we mentor and coach, but I would say like, the single best thing I've done at the company is get to work with Joe. And I think we lived together for five years. Joe's my co-founder. We've lived together for five years. You know, we've never had an argument. Like we get along super, super well. And he's like such an awesome, like 
even keeled person. I think we like balance each other out in a lot of ways. We're actually very similar in a bunch of ways and we're very, um, we're very, we're very, very, I would say we're very similar in a lot of ways. And we, we do have like, we are slightly different in some ways, but I think in general, you know, it's just been a blast. Like I, I feel super fortunate to get to work with people I love every single day. Like so many people on our team are like my best friends. I absolutely love them. And I feel so fortunate that they would choose to put their you know, life in, in, in career, like in, you know, working with us, they have options. They can literally do anything, work anywhere. Um, we, we very fortunate to have some of the best people in the world. And, and I don't say that in kind of a cliche way. I actually mean that. Um, and, and one of the things that is constantly, you know, really made the experience every second enjoyable, even the stressful parts, it's like a blast because number one, I get to do what I love. Number two, I get to work on, on really cool problems, like with, and really cool opportunities with people who are just a blast to be around. They're super fun. They like, we joke around all the time. We still do things like shower at Stanford. They have this tradition of throwing in the shower on your birthday. We still do that in the office. Like people like dunk each other in the sink. And, and it's just, it's just super, super fun. My friends who watch my Instagram stories, you know, Michael, knows everyone's like, do you, do you guys yeah. even work? I'm like, yeah, we work all the time, but it, but it's like, it still feels like you're in college. So I think that has definitely been the key work on what I love with people I love. Um, and it, and one question I always ask people when we interview is, when we interview them is what would you do if you had infinite time and money and and what would you like and i would say for me the answer is i would do exactly what i'm doing now except i'd buy all my friends companies and we'd all move onto the same street and like live in one giant dorm complex right and and that was what we we're trying to sell with our product so i i would literally do what i was doing at, what i'm doing for free i basically am doing it for free like you know first first several years we didn't take salary and then you pay yourself like nothing for several years and and so you know very very grateful for this journey and for the awesome people i'm around yeah, yeah. So uh, that's awesome. I mean, I, I feel the same way about a lot of my coworkers. Well, maybe not exactly the same way as you. There's a one or two that we don't get along that well. But um, he knows who it is. If you're listening, you know who I'm talking about. But you know what I w wanted to ask you is just to dig a little bit deeper into Michael's question, which is you know like he was talking about tough times, and you you kind yeah. of rephrased it like, hey, you know, we work with a bunch of cool people, so we actually don't have yeah. that many tough times, but what what is one of the darkest moments you know as an entrepreneur that you had and and how did you recover from it and mine yeah. for me was you know we were two months away from not making payroll yeah i was acting like everything was okay yeah and then finally i got honest and i was like things aren't okay i have two months yeah. of payroll and then someone goes hey i know an investor and then two weeks later we had two years of run rate you know so nice. i was curious did you have awesome. any of these like oh shit moments where you were like, yeah. okay, I can't outthink my way out of this. I need to yeah. use some emotional intelligence or I need to get vulnerable and just ask yeah. for help. Yeah. I mean, of course, like this is a startup. There's like all of those. Right. And I mean, we've been very lucky on the cash side. We've always been very well. Uh, we've had always had like a really long runway. We've never gone out to raise money. It's always been mostly inbound. So one, I mean, you know, so many stories, right. One of the things that really stuck out to me was, we built this app like number one app in the app store suddenly we see this we're sitting there one night and we see this like tweet someone's like oh like if you get this app you'll get kidnapped and we're like oh ha, ha. like you know this we're like that's random like who would write this like clearly a fake article because at the time you literally couldn't even use the app with anyone who wasn't your friend because it, it didn't even you couldn't even add friends you could only do it with your existing friends right so unless you like knew them you had your phone number and all that stuff so we're like clearly this is a fake thing like whatever 
and we thought it was funny and, and we saw it we saw it kind of spreading where we we're actually having a happy hour at our apartment that night so cameron Teitelman, one of our mutual friends was like at our apartment we we're sitting there and looking at this and you know we we're like oh yeah that's kind of weird but you know snapchat had people being like oh like it was like all this like scandals and stuff saying people are sending nudes and stuff like that so we're like you know you know whatever like if people are tweeting about it that's good more people are tweeting about it next morning we woke up it was crazy like our traffic was like this it was like up and to the right and there's like instant wall it's like immediately in it was insane like literally everyone deleted the app and stopped downloading it like in like span of 12 hours we were like what the fuck happened this is uh, sorry i don't know if say that we were like what the heck happened and, you know That's this is good. insane <laughs> i was like this is insane i i cannot believe this and it was crazy like literally so we it turns out that this was like a coordinated you know smear campaign and we were not the first company that it happened to it happened to like other companies also so and it actually is not that expensive to execute so anyway what happened was for like years we literally had to like rebrand the product essentially because for years like people literally had heard it was crazy like literally like small towns in texas had police departments that were like doing videos being like okay this app is actually safe to use and it's not like literally i think like the midland police department had a video being like hey we've investigated this app it's totally safe to use and that was just like a fake rumor and i was like this is insane like that people around the world are like are like like kind of thinking about the, our down to lunch and and telling people it's safe the fact that it even spread that that way and i remember for like years you know when i was single the the dating apps i'd open and people would be like whoa down to lunch like what was all that kidnapping stuff and i was like this is so crazy that um you know turns out people like sending nudes is like good press and, and kidnapping is not so and and it was and the crazy part was like it was so odd like we just thought we were like this is so ridiculous that like no one will ever believe it because anybody who uses the app knows that, that it's literally not even possible right and and it was just yeah people people believed it so it was it was pretty crazy so we that was that was such a wild ride and yeah it was imagine being on the top of the app store and then the next day like literally everyone deleted it, it was i have a picture of the growth graphs as well oh man oh man well i i guess Here's the moral story. of the story is if a scandal breaks out um you and your co-founder need to start sending out some nude photos to take the attention <laughs> away. yeah that's <laughs> definitely the answer nikhil and joe's nude calendar for something like that <laughs> yeah uh i want to ask one more thing um yeah you guys definitely have some high profile investors uh yeah Paul schwab some uh john hennessy yeah. how do you have the confidence to approach these guys and be like hey believe in us or just in general like yeah hey, believe in me believe in our team how do you have the confidence absolutely. to do that absolutely so um i think it's two-part answer so one is i think it's actually three-part answer one is we didn't actually approach anyone they all approached us and wanted to invest so it was, it was a little different uh whether it's you know charles schwab or you know the chairman john hennessy who was a chairman of board at google and and president stanford and stuff so it was, it was all kind of like inbound um or through intros or whatever um the second thing is you know i, I realized just like a lot of these people all these people you know when i was at google i had meetings with larry and sergey and at facebook there's one desk next to mark and that was my desk and i at microsoft you know i ended up me meeting and hanging out with the, the ceo and like bringing him to bringing him to stanford to come speak so i just really you know i was just weirdly like i grew up in this small town i was just not intimidated i didn't know anything i didn't even know that they were legit i mean i knew they were the ceo's companies but I just wasn't intimidated i i don't know i, I don't know how to say that and i think the coolest thing is they're just normal people and they're you know very smart and extremely hardworking and very driven. But 
the the main thing is that they're just so like caring and supportive and literally John Hennessy, if I email him, he or text him or call him within 45 seconds, he'll respond. I feel bad because I'm like, you know, I don't respond sometimes for a day or two days or whatever. But I think I think the thing is they're just so willing to help kind of the next generation of people that I was blown away. And I think the, and, and we're just super, super grateful for them. And one of the cool things we've done is, you know, most times when you get uh, kind of high profile investors, you don't, you don't get to actually talk to them and you get their admins, admin kind of emailing you or whatever, right? So for us, we didn't need cash. And we said, look, you're coming to us. We don't really need investors and we don't really want investors, but we want mentors and coaches and we want a personal relationship with you. We'll text you, we'll call you, we'll email you anytime. And we want that kind of relationship. And, and they're like, all right, we're down. They're like, we've never done this before, but like, that's cool. Let's do it. So um, I mostly think of those personal mentors. And I think the last thing I would say is I thought about this a lot. You know, when you grow up in a small town, you have like a different experience of life, right? And, you know, if you look at Palo Alto or I thought it was like, you know, do I want my kids, if I want to have kids, to grow up in Palo Alto? And it's such a crazy experience. You're, it's ultra competitive. You know, people are like, you have SAT tutoring starting like third grade. I don't know if it's actually third grade, but somewhere around there. And it's just so competitive in every aspect, right? And everyone wants to go to Stanford and, and whatever, right? So, you know, growing up in Texas, I, it was 50% of my high school didn't go to college. Like college was like not a thing. And if you did, it was like community college or whatever, or like the local school. So it just wasn't stressful. It was like very relaxing. It's very easy. And the second thing was you have the opportunity to be a big fish in a small pond. And I think that's incredibly valuable because at least in my opinion in life, right? I think the two most important things in life are ultimate confidence in yourself and persistence. And if you have those two things, like you can, you can get most everything else. And I think that for me, Growing up in a small town, you know, I was able to be the best at academics and the best at athletics and the best at music and have a lot of friends and hang out with everyone and street race my cars and jump off bike ramps in summer, right? And it's just, you can't do that in a big city because there's so much competition. And I think that instilled in me from a very young age that, you know what, I and anybody else, if you really want to, you can be, you can be great at whatever you want. So I think, I think carrying that belief through my life has been a really, really, really kind of core part of my identity and a really powerful part of kind of what makes me right now. Sweet. I mean, yeah, I've definitely been inspired by your story. I mean, just <laughs> following you and being your friend and whatnot. So um, what's, um, what's something that you personally don't have an answer to right now and that you're looking, looking to figure out? Let's see. Um, I have a lot of those questions. One, <laughs> uh, who's going to, how do we hire like five more engineers? So please introduce <laughs> me to them. Uh, number two, the big question I have is when is our office freaking reopening in, in San Francisco? Because, you know, startup is all about the family and we we'll want to get everyone back. Um, I think for me, one thing that I kind of on, on like a more personal, deeper level in terms of like answers is as I go through my life, um, how do I balance spending a lot of time in, in work? Um, and also making sure that the other areas of my life are really fulfilled, right? In terms of like relationship and friends. And I think especially in COVID, that's a much more difficult challenge. So how do I balance all those areas? And what are the shifts? Because at each phase in your life, you kind of have a different ratio or balance of those different areas. And, and how do you be most effective and deliberate in creating, um, creating amazing opportunities that enrich you in each of those areas in kind of as efficient time as possible? So that's, it's something that I've constantly thought about over the years. And it's something that is a big focus in me, for me right now, as I can kind of like plan on my life for the next year or two years. 
love that. I definitely have those thoughts as well. So, <laughs> but you know, yeah. So is there any like last words? Um, you know, we're kind of getting to the top of the hour, you know, like if there was something you could tell a younger Nikhil or just something that you wanted to say to our audience, you know, we want to open up the floor for you to just kind of freestyle, you know, whatever yeah. you feel from straight from your heart. Absolutely. So probably like kind of thinking back to the talks at Stanford that I've given um, to both founders and engineering and the business school, I think the main thing that I kind of, kind of see and, and um, kind of see with, with people kind of a little bit younger than me and a little bit older than me, I think are, I think two things. One is actually, sorry, I'll say three things. One is really think about what you want for your life. Right. I think so many people go through life and just saying, you know, I don't know, but, but I, but I'll figure it out, which is, which is fine. I think that's totally one way to go through life. But I've seen the people who typically have the most happiness are pretty deliberate about, Hey, you know what, this is what I think I want. And it may change and I may be wrong, but it is, it is some a direction I want to go in. And I've, and I think as you know, as you go to kind of a lot of the top schools, you have this kind of intellectual desire of like my objective is to learn. And I think that's fine. And, and I think that if you make that your objective, that's great. But I think we're just really choosing something and saying, hey, this is what I want to do in life. And this is what gives me happiness and knowing that. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is really make sure you enjoy the process, right? The people I've talked to who are the happiest and the most successful, honestly, are people who love what they do and who they do it with. And, and if you're not happy, like change it. I've seen so many people stick in places or jobs that they're not happy with. And I'm like, dude, if you're not happy, like you should change it, right? And I think, and, and the people you're around, I think that's the most important thing. And I think the third thing is just like, like relax, like stuff will work out and, and you know, put in your best effort, but like, don't worry about it. Like life, life is good and, and stuff will work out. And, you know, I really think that ultimately happiness is just a choice. Like you can choose to be happy or you can choose to be stressed. And there's all these surveys and experiences, you know, you go to like third world countries and you see these kids with like no legs and no arms and they're like having the time of their life. Right. And I've really seen just like happiness is a choice and you can choose to be happy or not. And yeah, choose to be happy. It's, it's more fun. <laughs> Sweet. I love, love that it all resonates a lot with me. Uh, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on today. Really loved having you. Um, how can people find you or Alchemy? Yeah, if they want to reach um, out. Absolutely. So uh, my Instagram is I, I have all the social handles are at Nikilster N I K I L S T E R. So that's my Instagram. That's my Twitter. That's my Facebook. Nikilster.com. Uh, so N I K I L S T E R. Uh, dot com um, and yeah and then Alchemy is you can alchemyapi.io a-l-c-h-e-m-y a-p-i dot i-o and that's our uh, company awesome well this was another episode of Badass Asian Dudes with uh, with Nikhil Vishwanathan uh, co-founder of Alchemy and make sure to like and subscribe this uh, podcast and see you all guys later thanks for having me